welcome to Mobile Growth Nightmares, the podcast that shares and rips apart growth fuck-ups. Hosted by Andy from Feature, that's me, and Jessica from Paired. That's me. Behind every success, there are multiple mistakes, and this presents a fantastic opportunity for learning and improvement. However, mostly we only hear about the wins, so in this show, we do things a little differently. In every episode of Mobile Growth Nightmares, we'll invite a special guest from the industry to share a nightmare from their career and what they've learned from it. You can always find the latest episode of Mobile Growth Nightmares at mgnpodcast.com. That's mgnpodcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Andy Carvel. I'm co-founder and partner at Feature. We're a mobile growth consultancy uh, based here in Berlin. Um, I'm here with, uh, with Jessica, my co-host. Sorry, you're just two. St- oh my God, this voice. Two steps away from the cocktail, but I promise it's worth it. Uh, I'm Jessica. I'm the co-host of Mobile Growth Nightmares, and I'm the CMO at Paired. So today we have guests. Uh, they have a really difficult surname to pronounce for me. <laughs> so bear with me. We have Anna Girish from Blinkist. Hey, Very good. <laughs> and Heva Höfner from <laughs> oh my God. from Captain Cook. Hello. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I have awesome. to work on my pronunciation. Uh, let's start with Eva. Um, so Eva, can you, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and about uh, Captain Cook? Yes, sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Eva. I'm co-founder and chief brand officer of Captain Cook. And uh, my background is in design. So I studied design uh, in south of Germany, actually, then came to Berlin worked here for quite a while in um, corporate design agencies. So it was kind of a different field than now, um, app marketing. Um, and in 2014, um, we, well, my co-founder and I, we were already kind of um, developing apps on the side. We were really inspired by the iPhone that came out in 2008. Um, and what we were really missing is an app that was made it so simple to cook and shop actually at the same time. So when you would go online, you would just find thousands of recipes and you would be overwhelmed. So I, uh, our idea was to really simplify this whole thing with an app that would provide just three recipes per day. They are disappearing after 24 hours, so you have to check the next day if there are new recipes that you would like. And yeah, with that idea back then, we start developing the app and now grew into a team of around 50 people based in Berlin. And yeah, kind of helping a lot of people out there living a healthier life, cooking more from fresh and yeah, eating more healthy, basically. That's a great retention tactic. Uh, great way to bring people back to the app every day is like yeah, this, this, this disappearing recipes thing. Where did you get the idea for that? So it was out of being overwhelmed with what was out there already. And um, when you, yeah, actually when you go for lunch, like working and you have a like, lunch place you go to, yeah, there are usually three or up to five things you can choose from and then it's much easier to make a decision and there's this um, um, thing called paradox of choice. The more mm-hmm. things you can choose from, the harder it gets. So we try to get rid of all the friction that's, like, that stands beside you and a nicely freshly cooked meal and like being overwhelmed was one of that friction. Nice. And you've been monetizing more or less from day one, right? Like you had sort of partnerships with 
um, manufacturers of cooking devices, things like this? Uh, can you tell us just briefly a bit more yeah. about that? I mean, to, to be honest, not necessarily day one. So we had to build up our, um, our user base first. Mm -hmm. And also, to be honest, in the beginning, we didn't yet know in to which direction Captain Cook would go, right? At first time, it, um, it was like a side project, but then we grew so much in terms of user base and so on. So um, yeah, working with uh, brand partners and including native ad, ads in the app was then mm -hmm. the way to go for us. Um, so that's how we started. And since two years, we are also having a premium part in the app. So um, there's also a subscription model, which we added on the native ad model. That's awesome. So it's a hybrid um, yes. monetization model. Yes, um, it is. Yeah, uh, Thomas Patti was talking about those this morning, actually, in, in his session. Um, yeah, really great and a great Berlin success story. Um, great. Um, let's let's move on to Anna. Awesome. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of both apps, actually, and I love Captain Cook exactly because it gives you a recipe per day. So um, yeah, you have a fan in Berlin. Um, then let's go to Anna. So we've been working together for two years, so we know each other, but I guess the audience doesn't know you, so. Who are you? What do you do? Tell us. Thanks, Jessica. Hi, everyone. So I'm Anna. I work uh, at Blinkist. I've been working for Blinkist for two and a half years now. Um, the company itself is Blinkist Labs, but the beating heart of our company is Blinkist, the edutainment app that pretty much condenses uh, nonfiction knowledge into 15-minute bite-sized audio. But actually, it's much more than that now. So we're launching two extremely exciting new features as we speak, pretty much. Do you want to tell us about them? Uh, one is um, guides, which is not just focused around nonfiction books in itself, but it's really a guided session around certain topics. Um, and it's basically a bundle of certain books led through an expert. So basically, they lead you through a desired topic you want to learn more about. And it's much longer than that. So a guide can take more than a, a couple of hours, let's say. Lovely. I love how you are becoming like more of a 360, let's say, product around self-help. So it's that. really exciting. And your role is head of performance marketing, right? So you take care of every user acquisition. But you started, let's say, a Blinkist, focus on, on paid content, right? Yes. And I mean, it's a, it's a topic that is always fascinating to everyone because not so many companies, you know, made it work. Tell us a bit more about what it is um, and how you made it successful at Blinkist. Mm -hmm. So at Blinkist, uh, paid content is one of our biggest channels. We mostly operate through Outbrain and Tribula. Uh, our biggest success is driving the users from the ad to a magazine article and then convincing the user there um, to download our app. We mostly only use um, app conversion flow, um, so we still have a huge opportunity ahead of us, also cracking Webflow. Um, that's still in the future for us, but that keeps us excited about new opportunities. Lovely, and you were taking care of both like uh, um, let's say English content, but also German content. Yes. Have you seen any difference in what works in Germany and what works in the US, for example? Oh, definitely. And it ties neatly into um, a different path I had previously to Blinkist. I also worked for a dating company. And there we noticed that um, uh, in the dating realm, what worked well was when you talked about dating for intellectuals, for academics. So this like higher level of people, so to speak. It's not how I would phrase it. Uh, and that's the same at Blinkist. So in Germany, what works really well is if we um, 
if we say that our app is really tailored towards educated people, more intellectual. Whereas in the US, for example, we don't see this as a successful storyline. That's not something where US people are interested in so much. So that's one of the biggest differences, I would say. I love it. And what's your favorite channel? Well, of course, it's still paid content, yeah. but there's so many more channels that are really um, starting to grow also within our company. Influencers are working really well. We're now launching OTT, for example, as well. So that might be my next favorite channel because I'm taking care of that too. I love that. And I'm going to definitely reach out back in January to see how it went. Awesome. I guess it is time to move to the core. We need to uh, to hear these nightmares. Yeah, we've just okay. got a uh, 30-minute slot, so uh, yeah, we Perfect. need to let's 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 let's, let's move on. do it. So, what we do in this podcast, and you already mentioned, we usually love. I mean, we do it all the time. We ask people about like one time where they fucked it up, and what they learned from that. Because the idea is like from what do we say? What is the slogan? I forgot it. From behind every success, there, there are multiple, multiple mistakes. mistakes. I love it. I even forgot it. That's how often we publish our podcast. Um, We're so, really yeah. professional. <laughs> so let's start with Eva. Uh, tell us about one time where you made a mistake that it was like super useful because you learned something from that. Yeah. So what I can think of is that um, like in the past, our main market was definitely Germany. So uh, like our... I don't know, 95 to like, like the main, the majority of people were in Germany. So uh, when we set up our CRM tool, basically, um, there was this question about, okay, wh what's your default language? And we were like, yeah, well, it's German because when we don't know the locale uh, of a person that comes to the app, it's probably a German person, so it just makes sense for us to send out all the messaging then per default in German. Um, but then, well, plans changed, or not changed, but we grew more and we scaled. So we looked at international markets and uh, decided to tackle Europe, US, and so on. Um, and yeah, then realized that, of course, all those other people, uh, especially English-speaking pe uh, people, get all these messages when we don't know their local in German. So we started to get uh, feedback messages like, hey guys, please stop talking to me in Dutch. What are you doing? And we're like, <laughs> we don't have Dutch in the app, so w what's going on here? And then we realized actually that um, we have this issue with the default language in German. And then we realized that it's not so easy to switch it back because at that time we already had five languages in place. So it was not that we could in the tool just swap one against the other because there were five. So regarding the ideas, uh, IDs, there was kind of a difficulty. Um, so it took us a while to figure out how to handle this and um, yeah, worked something on the back, uh, out on the back end, uh, worked together with the tool very well actually so that we can solve this whole issue. And I believe the learning is um, that usually like Especially in the digital marketing world, we see everything as an A-B test and everything is changeable, right? You make a decision today, but yeah, if that goes in the wrong direction, you can make another decision uh, the next day. But indeed, there is some groundwork that needs to be done where we really have to consider very carefully uh, which way you want to go. And this default language was one of them. Um, so we should have put a lot of more effort into that, basically. So... That, that was the learning, I and, believe. 
It's super interesting, especially because I know that there's a lot of mobile apps here that are localizing in different languages or they are going to. So it's something to keep in mind. How long did it take for you to realize about this, let's say, mistake? Uh, I would say uh, three months-ish, something like that. Yeah. Okay. You lost a lot of revenue or it was still like... Uh, I'm not sure about that. To be honest, we haven't measured like how costly this better, thing better was. Better not to know. Like, yeah, we don't <laughs> want to know. We just focus on how to how to fix it, basically. And yeah, and also maybe one learning is that although we didn't have that view in the past, like maybe it's good with those decisions to think about. Okay, when we grow to the moon, what what can be the obstacle? What could be the worst thing that can happen? Uh, and then maybe rather make decisions which would be really valuable also long term. I love that. So it's like build your infrastructure in a way that it helps you, not just for the tasks that you're doing right now, but like for the future. Yeah. And how did you handle the communication with, uh, with users actually about that? Did you send like a sorry message or like um, did you have to ask them again what was their preferred language again? Yeah, I mean, when people were, were writing us, we actually saw in which language they want to write us. Uh, and we have a really great dedicated feedback team, so every time we get such messages, we kind of made up for it and say, hey, yeah, we know um, now you're in the, in the right group, so um, yeah, feedback is something we take very seriously and we have a kind of good vibe going on with our community, I would say. I love that. And, and sorry, just one last question before we go to Anna's Nightmare. Um, how many languages do you have right now in the app? Five. Oh, wow. That's a lot of complexity. Yes, it adds definitely up to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think internationalization and localization is often one of these things which is really under-considered yes. as uh, the complexity, just like you're saying. Um, you know, I'm, I'm amazed. Like, you know, so even like Apple doesn't get it right, at least not for me. Um, always, I'm always getting recommended German language podcasts. Like, even though my iPhone is set to English, but it's like, oh, but you're in Germany, so you want the German content. And it's like, yeah, it's like it, it's complex because uh, you can never really like make too many assumptions about the user, even if you have some some settings information. It's really unless you're asking them directly. It's, uh... You don't speak German, Andy. My Deutsch is nicht so good. Slash. I can say that as well. <laughs> yeah, I also don't speak. It's just not perfect. Okay, okay, good. But I learn langsam. Very good. I see some improvements. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, like maybe give me another 20 years. Uh, I, think I, I think I'm there. All right, uh, Anna, um, time to hear your nightmare. Um, tell us a time about something that you, uh, you really fucked up. Uh, what was the, um, the, the situation? What was the, the mistake? What was the damage? And what did you learn from it? Of course. Um, and please stop me if I go too much into detail here. Um, so our, one of our most recent fuck ups um, is related to cookie consent. And I would like to stay uh, within paid content. So there we mostly acquire people through uh, mobile web. And um, our biggest platforms are Outbrain and Taboola. Outbrain and Taboola. Yes, exactly. Um, so whenever we evaluate our campaigns on Outbrain and Taboola, we collect internal data. And of course, if we want to optimize towards ROI, we would use our internal data. But we also send events back to these two platforms because we also want to optimize on these platforms. For example, one of the main reasons for that is because most of our campaigns run on TCPA. So we want to have a high quality event 
based basically on our on our platforms. Mm -hmm. Sorry, and maybe just to say TCPA means like target, target cost CP. per action, right? Gena yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, let's do it. <laughs> uh, just a bit of a side German lesson for you two. Thank we, you. We, we, need, we need the help, by the way. Okay, okay right. So, uh, so just just to quickly quickly recap on that. So, so you were talking about trying to optimize for a, a, a specific action, kind of early in the funnel. That, yes. That you can that you can optimize ad spend on. Exactly towards specific events. So we have our internal data, and then we send that back again to our platforms. And in the past, we had a huge discrepancy there, up to sixty percent. So if we had a hundred installs um, or let's say signups on. Our internal data, we only had 40 installs or signups in the platforms. And this huge discrepancy was due to cookie consent. So we, for the longest time, thought that people who don't opt in, we cannot send those events back because that would um, contain sens sensitive data. So when we digged into how we could minimize this discrepancy, we actually found out that we, the way we interpreted sensitive data was completely wrong. And it turns out that the things we send back is pretty much really just the click ID, and the click ID does not contain any sensitive data. So mm -hmm. we're good to go. We had this one rule. If user says no to cookie consent, then we don't send. Then the you event just didn't back. send anything. Exactly, and that was really just because, like, we wanted to be extra safe and extra nice. But turns out that wasn't even necessary. So now, with this rule again disabled, we're pretty much safe to send back the exact same event amount that we see as well. And why that is important for us again, because then we have much higher quality in the events on the platform. We can use much better campaign objectives. We don't have to just uh, optimize towards upper funnel events, but we can go down more lower the funnel. Mm -hmm. And since then, um, our campaign optimization is also much more accurate. And so with this mistake, so to say, we didn't really like burn money or anything, but it prevented us in the last year pretty much from like around 300K in revenue that we could have earned if we would have noticed that sooner. That's, that's a reasonable opportunity cost. Yeah. Probably not the most expensive nightmare that we've had on the show, but yeah. still, if it's, uh, also just like slowing down your like pace of like being able to scale as well, right? I yeah. assume. Exactly. Um, I'm, also, I'm also amazed because, I mean, I, I work at Blinkist, so I didn't know about this. I'm like, <laughs> what? We missed out on that? Yeah, you were pretty much there still when this was already happening. Oh, really? Yeah, because we implemented that. like our last cookie consent um, pop-ups, I think, in yeah, like exactly. September 2020 or so. So you were definitely there. I was there. <laughs> My God. Okay, but how did you go on real, like, what was the step that took you to realize that? Because it's also something mm. that probably you can leave there and never realize for years and years, right? Yeah, exactly. So for the longest time, we just took this as a fact, as a, like a side effect we cannot change. Okay, we have this internal data and there's this huge discrepancy. But if we would have like sooner reached out to, let's say, um, other companies in the industry and would have asked, hey, how do you tackle this discrepancy? Maybe we would have sooner realized that there is no need for a discrepancy. Because um, actually, when we reached out to our platforms, they were also quite a surprise. So uh, thankfully, this is not a very common mistake. Um, but yeah, so reaching out to others, not accepting 
data discrepancy would have been a huge uh, step ahead much sooner. So really questioning everything and always keeping in contact with other companies in the industry is definitely helpful. That's some great learnings there, yeah. So like, um, don't just accept the, the discrepancy without trying to understand it. The discrepancies might exist for a good reason, but yeah. at least try to understand what that reason is and, yeah, and, and, and see if there's, there's something deeper behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, lo I love the, the second lesson learned there, like, you know, to actually talk with, with peers, other folks in the industry, maybe even competitors, right? Like, uh, I think it's, uh, I'm a big, big fan of, you know, connection and community, and I think we're all learning here. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, that's, that's a great learning for me. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Anna. Okay, we have our, our final section. Uh, we've got to keep on time because uh, we want to make sure that everyone gets their cocktails shortly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so uh, the final section um, is what we call Brilliant or Bullshit. Brilliant or Bullshit. Brilliant or Bullshit. Um, <laughs> where we ask our two guests um, to, uh, we, we basically, uh, we, we, I'm going to refer, I'm going to briefly summarize an article that, that we pulled out, basically something that's been in the news cycle recently. Um, today we've got a kind of a horror themed one, a very nightmarish theme one. Um, and uh, yeah, we basically ask our two guests to, uh, to take a position on it. So uh, yeah, so basically the article comes from, uh, when we post this, uh, we're going to publish this, we're recording this session, we'll post it, um, publish this uh, on the, the, the Mobile Growth Nightmares website. Uh, we'll include in the show notes a link to the article. But the article was from Pocket Gamer. It's a, it's a, it's a, gaming, um, night, uh, a gaming brilliant or bullshit question. Um, so the article basically uh, points out that horror games uh, are typically raking in like much more revenue on desktop platforms than they are on mobile. And the, the author is essentially making a case for uh, horror being um, a big opportunity for, for game developers, particularly mobile game developers, to crack, right? It's like, uh, it pointed out um, Alien Isolation, um, a popular, popular game. It's been on Steam for a few years. They also released a mobile version. It's made around 200K in revenue on, uh, in uh, I think six years, um, versus 14 million in the same time on Steam. And the article even points out, like, yeah, so if you would extrapolate that, it would take another 69 years for mobile to make as much revenue as it did on, on desktop. Um, I struggle to think 69 years into the future of mobile, it's probably all going to be run by, by AI at that point, um, but never, uh, which is in itself a nightmare, maybe. But um, yeah, uh, so the point, the, the, the point of the, uh, the article here is uh, horror has never really been cracked on mobile. Horror games could be the next big thing on mobile. Um, what do you think about that, Anna? Brilliant or bullshit? Like, do you agree? I call bullshit. Um, but Why? I want to say that if you, you have to zoom out a little bit. And I would say it's bullshit for at least the next five years. Um, mm -hmm. Everything beyond that, we could argue about it. But for now, for the short term, I would say it's bullshit because the mobile device in itself isn't as captivating as, for example, when you're a big gamer on a PC or in consoles, etc. So pretty much your device is just way too small to really blend out any everything else that is going on. I could imagine if um, they would go more into the direction of like realistic horror, like for example, anything Netflix did with like uh, Black Mirror, etc. So if you like don't take these like original horror motives, etc., but like create a new recipe that's more like 
realistic horror, and if you tie that into maybe like virtual reality, where like you get phone calls or like you see I don't know ghosts through your phone that don't actually exist. But I think that's there's so much that needs to be done that can't be done within the next couple of years. I, I love that answer. Very specific as well. So uh, just to summarize, so. You Current mobile games not immersive enough to really scare the shit out of you. Yeah, definitely not scalable. I think there could be a couple of players that will be really good in this soon, or are actually already somewhat there, but it's not a scalable um, genre, I would say, for mobile games. Awesome. Thank you so much. And what about you, Eva? What do you think about it? I then take the opposite and say, brilliant. <laughs> Ooh, we love this. Yeah, we like, we like controversy. Because... Uh, so I also believe like you have to change the game there somehow, right? Because you come from this big screens and uh, yeah, like where you really can dive into the atmosphere. And the smartphone is so different, uh, but you can, but you carry it around all day long with you. So maybe there are other ways of sneaking the horror into the daily lives of people who are entertained by that. So maybe there are, there are people who like that. And then getting, I don't know, scary messages like you were mentioning or even scary calls. I don't know, someone just breathing <laughs> on the phone. I don't know. So maybe there can be a whole another story rolled out on another level. Um, but yeah, that, that you definitely need to have a good concept for this then. This actually reminds me of the, uh, like the, it used to be, not sure if it's still a thing, but you used to be able to pay to have somebody prank call your friends, you basically give your friend's phone number and then they would like, you could have all kinds of like different kind of jokes played on them, like, uh, sounds like you're kind of advocating for something similar in the horror space, you know, <laughs> so, somebody pretending to be a stalker or something, it does sound God. genuinely terrifying. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask what's the next company that you're going to found, because uh, now we know. <laughs> She's got some I'm ideas. Not in that space, no, no, so, yeah, probably not. <laughs> and Andy, what, what about you, what do you think about it? Uh, I actually, I completely agree with, with Anna. I think uh, that, I do think that, you know, give it five years, maybe, maybe not even five, but, you know, something like that, um, when, you know, augmented reality, maybe we've all got augmented reality glasses or we're all kind of deeper into, like, virtual reality experiences, maybe if, uh, if Mark Zuckerberg gets his uh, metaverse off the ground or whatever, you know, and, and we're in these more immersive places, I, I definitely think that, you know, that horror can be much more like visceral and scary. And so I think, I think it's bullshit now. I think, yeah, give it five years, maybe it's going to be a, a scarier experience and, and a bigger, bigger market. What about you? Of course, brilliant, because we have to be even. <laughs> then we need to ask like someone else here. Um, I think it's brilliant because as a person that gets scared by looking at TikTok videos, uh, you know this TikTok where you have like, a, don't keep watching if you want to be safe, and that there's something super scary popping up? That's the one that just like make me super, um, super scared. Um, I think that there are so many ways, um, as Eva mentioned, to like create that kind of feeling. At the same time, uh, you mentioned like the desktop industry is making 12 million? It was 14 million for this particular million. game. But that game, I don't believe that the desktop experience is so amazing, you know, um, especially if you play at home, maybe in your small screen. So I believe that even with the current setup, there's a lot that can be achieved. Although this morning there was like, Thomas Petit presentation that mentioned that the games industry is like not growing as much as the subscription. So That's true. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I would say brilliant for now. 
All right, okay, and since we have a live audience in front of us, let's just, we're gonna finish right on time, um, but let's do a quick poll. Um, so, put your hand up if you think horror games on mobile is the next big thing. You think it's brilliant? Who's voting brilliant? We've got about oh, come on. three or four. <laughs> okay, and put your hand up if you think, uh, if you're calling bullshit on this. Okay, that's I considerably hate you more hands. <laughs> okay, yeah. bullshit wins this time. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, thank you very much to our guests, Eva and Anna. Thank you. It's been thank a pleasure. You. Thank you so much. What marketing mess is keeping you up at night? Send us your problems, questions, failures, and we'll discuss them on the show. Or if you want to be here with us and share your fuck-ups with our audience, be our guest. The kind of things that we're looking for, like uh, could be bad decisions that keep on um, haunting you, like things that you've done in the past, like technical debt or you know other kinds of like mistakes which you're worried are going to kind of come back and bite you. Um, could be worries about the future, a nightmare that you're having about some, some future growth um, event that could occur. Um, could be a nightmare setup that you have no control over, like a client or a new employer that has a terrible analytics setup. Um, could be nightmare processes. Um, could be something that was initially thought of and touted as a success, but actually you were reading all the signals wrong and actually turned out that it was actually a nightmare. Um, yeah, all of those things and anything else that's related to growth and nightmares. So if you have something like this, send us an email to hello at mgnpodcast.com. Hello at mgnpodcast.com. See you next time. Cheers. <laughs>